Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Glory to God. Well, a few weeks ago, I started this topic, Revival Praying. Revival Praying. We know that revival comes by prayer, And it's sustained through prayer. And if prayer wanes, revival wanes. If if prayer is increased, revival increases. Now, I want this section over here to say amen out loud right now. Real real loud. I want this section right here to say praise the Lord. Lord. I want this section to say glory to God. Well, this section say hallelujah. hallelujah. Now I did that because you're awfully quiet this morning. If you stay quiet, I'm just going to point to your section. <laughs> and then you just do what you're supposed to do. Amen. <laughs> hallelujah. hallelujah. Glory. Glory. <laughs> the word is true. Hallelujah. And God is faithful. Amen. And so prayer is essential. Our our text that we're using in this particular section is found in uh, Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians chapter six, turn over there with me and let's read it together. Ephesians chapter six. And verse number 18 says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Notice he said, praying always with all prayer and supplication. The Amplified Bible says all manner of prayer. The Goodspeed translation says, use every kind of prayer and entreaty and at every opportunity pray in the spirit. Notice, use every kind of prayer. We've been looking into the fact that there are different kinds of prayer in the Bible. A lot of people have the idea that prayer is just prayer. You know, that, uh, uh, you know, that all praying is the same praying, but that's not true. There are different kinds of prayer and the different kinds of prayer have different principles attached to them. They don't operate the same. They don't operate all on the same principles. You know, we have the prayer of faith that we talk about a lot, which is the prayer of petition to receive something, something that God offers you in his word, the prayer of faith. You go to the Lord and you say, Father, I thank you that your word promises me thus and so. And so according to your word, according to your promise, I believe I receive that in Jesus' name. That's the prayer of faith. That's how you pray the prayer of faith. The prayer of faith is a short prayer. Doesn't take long to pray the prayer of faith. You don't have to get worked up to pray the prayer of faith. Amen. You just thank God for the answer. And then you go about thanking him in the prayer of praise and thanksgiving. That's a different kind of praying altogether. The prayer of praise and thanksgiving, you're not asking for anything. You're thanking God because you already have the answer. Amen. You don't go back on the prayer of faith and pray it over again. 
You don't ask God one day to meet a certain need in your life and then come back the next day and ask him to meet the same need. If it's a need that he promises or or a, a supply of something that he promises in his word, once you believe you receive it, if you believe it's yours, you're not gonna come back the next day and ask for it again. And if you do, you just nullified the praying of the day before. You just showed that you didn't believe it to begin with. Amen. So the prayer of faith operates that way. The prayer of praise and thanksgiving is something you you do because you love God in honor of him and what he's done in your life. You thank him for who he is and and what he's done and what what he has promised that you believed you received. Even though you don't see it yet, you thank him for it. Amen. That's the prayer of praise and thanksgiving. There are, uh, there's the prayer of, uh, of consecration where you come to the Lord and you say, Father, you know, it's not what I want, but it's what you want. Not my will, but your will be done. And the prayer of consecration is something that you pray uh, uh, often throughout your life. Not necessarily every day, but very often you come back to a place uh, of rededicating and re-consecrating yourself to God's plan and your will just to keep your life centered. And that's a prayer that you pray over and over and over again. And that's the prayer that it's uh, uh, proper to say, if it be your will. But people take that one statement that Jesus made, Father, if it's your will, and then they attach that to prayers that they pray to to change things or to receive uh, an answer from God, and it doesn't apply there. It's the wrong place for that. If you ask God for something that he has told you belongs to, that belongs to you in the word and you say, Father, I ask you for that and I believe I receive it, thank you for it. If it be your will, you just, you just eradicated everything you prayed because you don't even know if it's his will or not. So how can you have faith for it? How can you have faith for something if you don't even know it's God's will? You can't. Amen. So there are different rules and then there, we're, we've been talking particularly and we'll talk quite a bit about the prayers of supplication and intercession. Notice that supplication is referenced here in this verse, praying always with all kinds of prayer and supplication in the spirit. So last Sunday we looked at the prayer of supplication and and we won't go into that today. Uh, We'll come back to it because we made this statement last week that the prayer of supplication is used in the prayer of intercession. And that's the topic today is the prayer of intercession. Supplication is an essential element of intercession. What is supplication? Supplication is earnest, heartfelt praying. Praying with fervency. Uh, Fervency is something that we give to our prayers. It's not something God does. It's something we do. It's not something that he prompts. It's something that we prompt. Fervency. Being uh, 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 earnest in our praying is something we determine. We determine whether we're earnest in our praying or not. When, when, you know, praying is talking to God and, and you're asking God for things and you're praying, many times you're, you're presenting his word to him about uh, conditions, not necessarily in your own life, but in other people's lives. When revival praying is concerned, where, where we're concerned with revival praying, we're talking about praying for the body of Christ. 
Well, we're asking God to do certain things. We're asking him to, to stir certain things up in people's hearts so that, that the church, the body of Christ, will be on fire and be where it needs to be and be the church it's supposed to be. And so we're talking to God about those things. You know, if I'm talking to Joby and I say, uh, uh, Joby, would you go in my office and, and, and get a certain book off of my desk? I can ask him that way. Or I can say, Joby, I need you to go to my office right now and get a book off my desk. Is there some urgency in that? How is, jo- is Joby going to respond differently to that than the first request? Yes. Why? He's going to, he's, he, because there, he understands that it's important to me. If what we're praying about isn't important to us, how can we expect God to take us seriously in our praying? If it's not important to us, then it's not important to us. It's not a matter of God not doing it. It's a matter of he understands that when when we're not earnest in our praying, we're not really asking him. We're just going through the process of praying. So, So fervency, we talked about supplication is fervent praying. And so when you pray in the prayer of supplication and intercession for other people, get serious about it. Supplication isn't casual praying. There's a place for casual praying. Don't misunderstand me. And it's not invalid. When, when, when we give thanks over our food, do we mean it? Yeah, we do. But, but we're not real fervent about it usually. Isn't that right? Uh, when, we, when we pray the prayer of faith, we're usually not real fervent about it because God said this and, and we don't need to get worked up about it. It belongs to us and we ask him to meet our need and we thank him for it. That's sincere praying. But supplication and intercession requires fervency because it's not just about us. It's about somebody else and we're told to be fervent in our praying. What does it say in James chapter five? The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, making, the Amplified Bible says, it makes tremendous power available. I don't think we've ever come to terms like we need to with the fact that that in order to make enormous power available, God needs to know that we're in this. That we're not just going through the motions in our praying. See, God has promised to give us the desires of our heart. Well, desire can be strong for something. And when desire is strong, desire that is presented to God fervently, strong, heartfelt desire moves God. Why? It's not that, that, that he changes. He is the same all the time. I'm getting ahead of myself, but go with me over to, uh, well, we can use this verse right here. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. 
Uh, how is it, on, let me put it this way, on what authority or on what basis can we ask God to do things for other people? You know, in First Timothy, it talks about, uh, second chapter, it talks about praying for all who are in authority. That supplication, prayers, intercession be made for all men. Well, on what basis do we pray for all men? We pray for all men and we, and we ask God to do things in people's lives because he can't move unless we ask him. John uh, Wesley, of course, the founder of the Methodist movement and church, he made this observation way back in the 18th century. He said, it, it seems that God is limited by our prayer life, that he can do nothing for humanity unless somebody asks him. Well, why is that? It's absolutely true. Why is that? It's because God, when he created man, he put man in the earth and gave him dominion over the earth and put everything under his hand and under his feet. And God delegated the right to choose how we live and what we have and what we receive and whether we're gonna walk in the blessing of God or not is not up to God, it's up to us. Well, God doesn't have the right to just force himself and his will and his plan off on somebody. They need to be open. They need to ask. Jesus said, your father knows what you need before you ask him. But he went on and told us to ask. Isn't that right? He said to pray, Father, give us our daily, need, our daily needs. Well, he said he already knows what they are. Well, if he already knows what they are and he knows that we need them, why not just give them to us? He loves us. Well, though he knows, we have to ask because he's given the authority and the control to us. It's not up to him. Well, when you're talking about praying for other people, it's even more so God can't do something for somebody else unless somebody asks him. And so the basis we have for asking him is that we are one with him. See, we're one with the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the body. I mean, he is the head. We are the body. Isn't that right? We're members of Christ. We, the church, collectively are Christ in this earth. Well, his plan is being worked out through the church. It's God that lays a desire in our hearts for a certain thing. It's God that does that, but then he depends on us to pick up that desire. He intends for that desire to be strong on the inside of us a desire that he puts there, a burden, sometimes we call it in prayer. He'll give us a burden to pray about something or about someone. He places that there because he needs that urgency. Why? Because it's not up to him. It's not up to him. It's up to somebody here 
to give him the authority and to give him the open door, so to speak, for him to move in somebody's lives. And, and when they're not asking and they're walking, when people are walking in darkness, when you're looking today at the condition of the church, the church is largely backslidden. Amen. I tell you, the church in America, the church in America is so uh, inept in praying Hardly no one even knows how to pray. That's just the truth. Hardly no one knows how to pray. Is that the right way to say that? Hardly anyone knows. Hardly anyone. Something didn't sound right about that. Hardly anyone in the church today in the greater body of Christ even knows how to pray. I'm not even talking about the technical side of it. They just don't know how to enter in. They don't know how to enter in. They don't know how to yield to the Spirit. They don't know, they don't know, the, 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 they don't know the basics of what it takes to have an effective prayer life. They just pray a little bit, little silly prayers. Oh, God bless Frank. Just bless him, Lord. That does about as much good as saying twiddle, twiddle. I mean, that just doesn't, it doesn't do anything. God bless so-and-so. Well, he's already wanting to bless that person. Why hasn't he? Well, there's some things in so-and-so's life. There's some things that he has to initiate. Well, if so-and-so was backslidden or if he's unsaved, then he's hopeless because he don't even know to ask. He doesn't even know he has a need. He's ignorant. Well, God wants that person to receive his best. God wants the church to be revived. Well, the part of the church that's backslidden, which is the majority of the church, they're not asking. So it's up to us to ask. There is a, a, a burning desire in the heart of God, a burning, consuming desire in the heart of God to see his church alive and on fire and functioning in the world and in the earth the way he's established us and called us and placed here uh, us here to, to accomplish certain things. It's a strong desire in his heart. Well, it has to be more than just a weak desire on our part to see him move. Our desire, our fervency has to match his desire and his fervency. For him to move, if he's, if he's 90% fer, fervent, which he's not, he's 100%. If he's 100% fervent, God's not, God's not uh, half-hearted about anything. He's not half-hearted about anything he does. He's not half-hearted about the lost he sent Jesus to die for every man and woman on the planet today. He's not half-hearted about it. He's earnest about it. Well, if God is 100% earnest, if we want him to move 100%, we can't pray 15% earnestness. That won't move. It's, it won't unlock God's potential. Not being really interested, just being partly interested in the lost, just being partly interested in revival, a little bit stirred up, will not accomplish the full desire of God. It cannot. It cannot. Because we're not, we're not asking 
to the degree that he desires. We don't desire it as much as he does. How can he move? He can only move if we ask him and he can only move according to our desire for a certain thing. Do you understand that? And so most of the church, when they pray, they just pray silly little prayers. Amen. It's not getting the job done. Well, praise God. Off my point a little bit today, but that's all right. We talked about intercession uh, last time, last Sunday night. And uh, if you weren't here, we defined intercession this way. Intercession is standing in the gap in prayer between a person or persons who have provoked judgment upon themselves through their wrongdoing and the actual execution of that judgment. Or to put it more simply, intercessory prayer is prayer to hold back judgment. Uh, we looked at this, turn with me over to Genesis chapter 18. We looked at this and I think this is important to look at again. Genesis chapter 18. We know the story of Abraham interceding for Sodom and Gomorrah. The Lord had appeared to Abraham to he and, and Sarah and told some thing, them some things about their lives and what was going to happen. Said so then a men, then the men, these were two angels, arose from there and looked toward Sodom, and Abraham went with them to send them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am doing, since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that he may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. And the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me and if not, I will know. Then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood, still stood before the Lord. And Abraham came near and said, would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Notice Abraham already knew the reputation of Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> the, 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 the Lord did not say what he was gonna do. But Abraham knew if they're going to check out the condition in Sodom, there's going to be judgment. Because he, he, he said, Lord, will you destroy the righteous with the wicked? The Lord hadn't said anything about destroying anybody. He knew what was going on in Sodom. And he said, would you destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous that are there? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so that the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Abraham might have thought about that for a minute. Nah, that's not good enough. He, he knew the reputation of Sodom. So, so Abraham answered and said, indeed now, I am, I who am but dust and ashes have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than the 50 righteous. 
Would you destroy all of the city for lack of five? So the Lord said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be found 40 there. He said, I, sh- I will not do it for the sake of 40. Then he answered and said, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak. Suppose 30 should be found there. So the Lord said, I will not do it if I find 30. And he said, indeed now, I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 should be found there. He said, I will not destroy it for the sake of the 20. Then he said, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak but once more. Suppose 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for, for the sake of the 10. So the Lord went his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham and Abraham returned to his place. I'm sure Abraham thought, surely there are 10 righteous. His nephew Lot lived there, Lot's wife, uh, Lot's wife their sons and wives and their children. You know, it, it, you would think there would have been at least 10. I think probably Abraham thought, well, you know, I've, I've at least protected Lot and his family for the sake of, because I'm sure there's at least 10. Well, there wasn't 10. And Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed. But notice that Abraham bargained with God, as it were. He interceded on behalf of the city for the, for the sake of the righteous. He interceded that God would spare the city. I believe if he would have went down to one person, if he'd have said, I know I'm just a man and I'm speaking to the Lord, but just be patient with me one more time. Would you, would you not spare the city for the sake of the one righteous? I believe God would have spared the city for the one righteous. That's the power of intercession. Abraham stood between Sodom and God and stood between judgment, between God and judgment. The only thing is he stopped a little short, thinking for sure there would be ten, at least 10 righteous people there. Notice though, we pointed this out uh, on Sunday night. On, in verse number 20, it says, the Lord said, because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me and if not, I will know. He said that the outcry against Sodom is great. In other words, their sin And their wickedness cried out to God. It cried out to God. And it moved God. We talked on Sunday night about the fact that Smith Wigglesworth, you know, he was a great apostle of faith, went home to be with the Lord in 1948. But he he was famous for making this statement. He said, there's something about faith that will cause God to will pass over a million people to find one person who dares believe his word, who will just stand in faith and believe him. He'll pass over a million people to get to that person. What was he saying? He was saying that, that faith moves God. Faith, will, God. faith invokes a blessing. It moves God to come and, and, and uh, uh, bless the person who possesses faith. It invokes a blessing. 
Well, sin moves God as well. But instead of invoking God, it provokes God. Over and over and over again, all you have to do is read the Old Testament. You'll see time and time again that Israel provoked God. Uh, He provoked his wrath, provoked his anger because of their sinfulness and their wickedness and judgment came. Do we not see that in the Old Testament? Why is that? Sin cries out for judgment. Well, God is not, God's not willing that people perish. God's not interested in seeing judgment fall on people. Go, go with me to Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel 33. <clears throat> Verse number 11, say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God has no pleasure when, when, uh, he, he has no pleasure in seeing judgment fall. But sin requires judgment. We see that in the garden, you know, of Eden when, uh, Ab- uh, when Cain slew his brother Abel. The Lord came to him and said, your brother's blood cries out from the ground to me. Well, obviously literal blood doesn't have a voice. But what, he, what was he saying? Your sin, what you did cries out to me. God is a God of justice. Listen, church, there is a day of reckoning. There is a day of reckoning coming to this world. God has put the sin and transgression of this entire world on Jesus. And he bore the penalty, he paid the price, he put it away. But if people will not receive that grace, then they have to remain in their sins. And, a, and the day of reckoning for this planet is rapidly approaching. God, God cannot allow the things that are going on in this world today. He cannot allow that to go on forever. God has, in his grace and in his mercy, we are in what is called The church age is called the day of grace. God, because of what Jesus did on the cross, God has been able to postpone judgment by by making salvation available to everyone, not holding anything against anybody, all washing it all away in Christ, opening the door to salvation, and he's been very patient. And he will remain patient through the end of this church age, but the church age is coming to an end. And when it comes to to an end, awful judgment is gonna fall on this world. The wrath of God is gonna be poured out on this planet. And in the meantime, when, when people sin against the knowledge of God, it's one thing to be ignorant It's another thing to to sin in the face of God, defying him, rejecting his grace. 
It's a serious thing. And when believers, when Christians will not judge themselves. The Bible said if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. We'll flip that around and what does it say? If we don't judge ourselves, we will be judged. Well, that is because judgment is right. God's judgment is righteous judgment. When people... I tell, I tell you what, when, when, this, when the church leaves this world, when we're raptured out of here, what's going to be left is, is a planet, billions of people that have rejected flat out, consciously rejected the grace of God and have shaken their fist in the face of God, said, we'll have none of you. That's what this world, that's what the the tone of this world is today. We want none of you. Well, when when the church is taken out of here, that's the only thing holding back judgment. When we're taken out of here, this world is going to face awful judgment and it's going to be righteous judgment. There's not going to be one person left that's going to say, oh, but you know, I'm, I'm not guilty. Oh, yeah. You're guilty. Well, there's only, there's only one thing that can stand between judgment, between God and judgment, and that is somebody to stand in the gap and, and pray. And that's what intercession does. Like Abraham, it prayed to withhold judgment, to hold back judgment for a little bit longer. Praise God. It makes intercession very important. Amen. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Turn over to Micah. <clears throat> Micah, the seventh chapter. Verse 18 says, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. But just like we read in Ezekiel, there comes a time when people have to yield to the mercy of God. Or else that time will run out. And the church, we are in in revival praying, we're in the position of being intercessors to pray for those who because of their wrongdoing, because of their hard-heartedness, because of their lukewarmness. What did Jesus say about lukewarmness? Did he say, well, I'd rather have you a little bit warm than, than cold? No, he said you'd be better off to be cold than to be lukewarm. He said, I, he said to, to the church now, he's talking to the church. He said, you're neither hot nor cold. Some people are happy if they're just not cold. They think that's okay. Well, you know, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like a serial killer. You know, I'm fairly good. I love God. You know, I love God. Yeah, but, but do you have any time for him? Well, 
I go to church once a month. Except in the summer. Or in the winter. <laughs> what did Jesus say? I would rather you be hot or cold. Even cold is better than lukewarm. Why? Because the lukewarm person is patting himself on the back saying, it's all right. I can give the Lord 3% of my heart, 5% of my heart, and, and, and he ought to be blessed to have that. Well, our job as, as the body of Christ is to pray for people in the church and outside the church because if, if they don't turn and repent, they're going to they're gonna suffer judgment now or later. And, and, for the, and for the church to be revived, those of us in the remnant church, it's, it's on us, folks. It's on us. It's an awesome responsibility, but it's on us. Amen. It's up to us to pray. Well, who's going to do it? It's up to us. Well, how many of us? All of us. Not, not just 30% of us. It's up to all of us. We have a tremendous responsibility. But God is our helper. God has not laid anything upon us to, to, uh, to a burden. He's not laid any burden or desire on our heart that he has not already decided to meet. What we, what we have sensed in this church about the condition of the, of the church at large and about the world and what we need to do, God, this is, we have picked up the burden of God. We have picked up his heart. We have tapped in to his desire. To some degree, not, not, not as much as we can, but to some degree we've tapped into what, what his desire and his compassionate love for this world and for this church, we've tapped into a little bit of that. And so it's our responsibility. Oh, it's an awesome responsibility because we're, we're one with the Lord in it. It's not just something he's given us to do and just you know, pushed it off on us and just sitting back and, and folding his hands to see how we, we do. We, we're, we're partnering with him. It's his desire. It's his burden. It's not, just, it's not ours. It's his burden. It's his desire. And we've picked up his desire. Oh, glory to God. So we're, we're laboring together with him. We're working together with him, hand in hand with him. We are, we are, we are doing uh, business with him. Oh, glory to God. Prayer is a, is a tremendous ministry. Tremendous ministry because it's, it's, it's getting in and, 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 and getting interwoven with God's plan and God's heart, God's desire. Hallelujah. We've become part of his team, so to speak. We're in the inner circle of his, of his team and, and we're working with him and, and, and we're picking up his desire and we're speaking that back to him, giving him permission every time we pray, every time we ask, every time we, we, we offer up that supplication before the Lord. We, he's, he's able to receive, respond to somebody else because we prayed. Oh, glory. Hallelujah. Whew. I tell you, prayer is is a ministry that everybody can be in on. 
everybody. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to be a, a you know, have any kind of position. It's a, it's a true, biblical, spiritual, essential, it's the, it's the most important thing. And everybody can pick that up. Everybody can pick that up. Everybody in this building, if you're born again, if you've been filled with the Spirit, every one of you can get involved in this ministry of prayer and become somebody that is so valuable and so useful for God. You can be a world changer. You can, you can change and affect the outcome of other people's lives and, and, be, and be known for that throughout eternity. To enjoy the reward throughout, of, throughout eternity of what you accomplished in prayer. You think about what you accomplished in this life. Just to, not just, you know, we, all, we always say 100 years from now, nobody will even remember. You won't even remember five years from now. Most of the things that you're interested in, they don't amount to anything. You won't even care about it five years from now. Think about eternal things. Things that have weight in eternity. Things that, that will be put down. Do you think, you think, you really think when you get to heaven, the fact that you believed God for, for uh, you know, a new suit of clothes, you really think that's gonna be on your plaque on the wall? Thank you, Father. Do you really think that's important? It's important to us now. But do you think that has any real eternal value? Is there any memorial in heaven over your new car? Amen. No, what's, what's valuable in heaven are lives. Blood-bought, blood-washed sinners that come back to Christ and are saved for eternity. And for all eternity, they're beholding the Lamb of God in worship and honor to Him, brought from death into life. That's what matters. And all of us, can, every one of us, can be one of those in eternity that it's known. Look, what, look at the fruit they brought in. Look at the lives that were changed by this person. God is not unfaithful to forget. He said there's a record in heaven, praise God. A memorial in heaven. Oh, hallelujah. Prayer is the greatest ministry. It's not the ministry with all the fanfare. It's not, the, it's not the ministry that everybody raves about so much here. But I tell you what, talking about heavenly rewards, eternal rewards, prayer is the ministry that'll make you somebody in the world to come. A man or a woman of renown in the, in the coming world. There'll be a person, those, are, those people are the people who today are people of prayer. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.